Andy Bastian. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. And this is Southern Queries. Exploring all things LGBTQ in the South. peeps. Um, We actually ran out of time in our other uh, part one of talking with Alejandra Marquez. So this is part two. Um, And I hope you guys enjoy this two-part series of this very long interview with Ale. We clearly need to have her on the podcast more often. I still felt like there was so much more to talk about. Um, But please enjoy part two with Ale Marquez. Um, but I'd love to hear what you think of queer Latin American culture today. Like, where do you is where do you think it is today, um, and how do you think it's going? That's a really hard question, uh, but I love that question. I think <laughs> because I think you know when I when I really think hard about these things, and and I think of ideas such as queer or queerness, right? that is something that rejects these identities or like these boundaries. So for me, of course, like I study Latin America, but when I think about it, I'm like, what is really Latin America? It doesn't exist, right? Or like, what is Mexico? Like these are just like man-made borders, right? But also I think, and I've said this before, even within Mexico, like I don't think there's like a queer Mexico because it's one thing to grow up in San Miguel de Allende, you know, in the 2000s, and it's something different to grow up in Mexico City or like in Puerto Vallarta, which is like super gay, full of like gay tourists, you know, or like growing up in, I don't know, Chihuahua, where my family is from. Um, so I think it's very hard to think about one idea of queerness in, in Latin America. I can speak a little bit about Mexico. And I think one of the things that is very important to me And that I've seen in the past few years is that, you know, especially social movements and how queer movements, queer activism has been so uh, close to feminist movements, right? Mm. And so something that I'm seeing a lot right now, and I know this is not just uh, Mexico, we're seeing sort of like a you know, we're seeing that resurging again, but that like turfy, horrible attitude that should not be around anymore. So it's like so passe, right? It's like, come on, like we're having these conversations in the seventies, like seriously, you know? So for me, one of the things that is very difficult is on the one hand, um, you know, having a lot of admiration for women who in the seventies were fighting for lesbian rights and for feminism. And those groups, not all of them, but a lot of them are super turfy now. And so mm-hmm. there's like this division between, oh, like we're we're lesbians and we're part of like this bigger group um, or like we're lesbians, but like, you know, we, we don't want, we don't want any men around ever, 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 ever. And also we're also turfs, you know? So it's like, um, you see like these two polar opposites and so something that I really liked and that I really that really is making me happy lately is like I'm on Twitter and so I follow a lot of young queer people on Twitter uh, in Mexico and so there's there's a group uh, of young 
women or women identifying individuals who identify as queer or as lesbians. And so they held, last year it was virtual, but it was the first, they called it Marcha Lencha. So, uh, and Lencha is sort of like a euphemism for, you know, like les lesbian. Um, but one of the things that they were saying was everyone, like everyone is welcome. Everyone that is a woman or that identifies as a woman or that in some way has desire for other women is welcome. So like it was very, you know, bisexual inclusive. It was like pansexual inclusive. It was trans inclusive. Uh, it was, you know, non-binary inclusive. And so for me, you know, on the one hand, seeing that that these young women are coming together and saying like, okay, like we're part of these LG this LGBTQ movement, but we also want our own separate space because, you know, as we know, like, LGBTQ movements have been dominated by by gay men, you know, and so they're like, we need, we want our own separate space, but also we're welcoming of anyone who, in some way, shape, or form, has this quote unquote lesbian or lencho, you know, I think they call it like lenchitudes, you know, like I don't know what, how you would translate that, but like <laughs> nope. you know, this like desire for other women. So like everyone is welcome, you know, if you experience you know have like romantic or erotic feelings for women and you identify as a woman or you're non-binary or you're a cis woman, you know? So I, I I saw that and I was like, that's really cool. So like, there are a lot of young people who are being, who are very smart, who are very inclusive, who are sort of like fighting for the right things uh, to counteract all the, I don't know, like, I don't know if I can cuss on the show, the- uh, yeah, okay. uh, Fuck, go ahead. Okay, the fuckery that is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the other side. So I'm really happy to see that. Awesome. And uh, just for our listeners, will you clarify what TERF means? Uh, trans exclusionary, wait, the, yeah, trans exclusionary radical feminist. So basically just like transphobic, quote unquote feminist. So not real feminist. <laughs> <laughs> to me, to me. <laughs> Sorry, I don't like TERFs. No, I don't think either of us are in that camp <laughs> whatsoever. Me neither. I figured. <laughs> go ahead Aubrey I feel like I'm dominating with all the questions so I want to give you space <laughs> no no it's a, it's it's totally fine I was wondering if because you had mentioned this idea that sometimes not all of the words translate when you're going from Spanish to English English to Spanish and that's part of what we've been talking about and we had talked about kind of like off the tape how you were doing like safe zone training and I do what's called like safe space training at my job where it's just this kind of telling about the LGBTQ community. And when I teach, sometimes I hesitate to use the term Latinx um, because from a generational standpoint, uh, some of my older uh, Latin students don't like the term whereas some of my younger students are more likely to embrace Latinx. And some people say it's more of just uh, the United States trying to impose our ways on Spanish language or like more romantic, the classical romantic language of Spanish. Uh, maybe can you help me understand what, where some of that controversy is coming from and what, I don't know, what should we do about it, if anything, or just maybe help me understand the controversy? All right, that's that's a, a very complex question. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so 
Latinx is, yes, of course, as we know, like this term Latino, Latina, then we, we, for, we also have Latine, which is an, like another yeah. non, non-binary choice. Uh, it's, yes, it's something that came from the U.S. and it's like a way to group all of Latin Americans or people, you know, whose family is from Latin America that live in the U.S., uh, but it is something that is very much confined to the U.S. And so I, I remember I have a, I had a professor when I was an undergrad, uh, Irma Cantu, shout out to Irma Cantu, who is from, also from Mexico. And she would, she told us that she didn't know she was Latina until she moved to the U.S. And I was like, oh my God, I can relate to that. Because of course, like growing up in Mexico, like no one ever told me like, oh, you're Latina. And then I come to U.S. and it's sort of like, oh, I'm Latina, but also like, okay, we're all Latinos. And so if yeah, they expect yeah. for like Mexicans and Puerto Ricans and Salvadorans to be the same. Uh, and so for me, it, you know, coming from Mexico, having like no idea, you know, because growing up in Mexico, you don't learn about race. And so that, it was something that I didn't really understand until I was in grad school, basically. Uh, so it's this, yes. So it's a, a way to group people uh, you know, from Latin America or whose family is from Latin America. Now then you have Latinx, which is, you know, uh, seeking to be non-binary instead of Latino or Latina, which is gendered. And so on the one hand, you have uh, those who of course feel like it is trying to put us all into this homogenous group. Um, And then you of course have the practicality of having some sort of identity. so it's, I mean, yes, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's very complex, but one of the, the best, um, I think, debates on this that I've seen recently, that, because I think it's very interesting, came from, from academics and activists, but the person, one of the people that I follow the most on Twitter and Instagram, she's absolutely wonderful. Her name is Junko Ogata Aguilar. And she is uh, Afro-Mexicana, which is Afro-Mexican and also Japanese. And also, uh, I think she identifies as Pocha because she grew up in, in the U.S. So she was in the U.S. for a bit. And she's, she just turned 25 and she's wow. brilliant. And so she was talking about how this idea of Latino, Latinidad, um, erases uh, Black Latin Americans, right? Because when we, in the U.S., there's this idea that, oh, Latino, brown. And it's like, well, you know, and even like white Latinos will be, you know, referred to as people of color. And so it's also like, well, well, but are, are you really a person but, yeah. of color? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, ra- it's this racialized term, but Latinidad, if there is such a thing, which there isn't, but like Latin Americans or people in, you know, Latin American countries, it, we're so diverse that it's, you know, <sighs> it's very problematic in that sense because so you think brown person, okay, Latino. But what about a black Latino or a Japanese Latino or, you know? So uh, I think several people on Twitter were saying like Latinidad should be canceled because it is, you know, it's erasing basically indigenous and black uh, identities, which I, which I think is true. So yeah, it's, it's problematic for many reasons and I wish I, you know, I think it's, it's an, another one of those things that you could just take an entire podcast to discuss it um, because it's very controversial. And I, I, I think for a very long time, I identified Latina in the U.S. just because I was like, well, it's easier if I just put on Latina, you know, 
but I think now I just say I'm Mexican uh, because, well, I'm, I'm Mexican, right? <laughs> well, yeah. that specific nationality is just a lot easier yep. to pin down. But I've also talked to so many people from older LGBTQ generations who say that these days we're just too hung up on labels and not enough on community or culture or understanding or trying to force trying to force everybody to agree with the right terms or use the same terms that maybe we're getting too far away from the point of what we're after which is that freedom to be to be accepted and to self-identify as opposed to having identities thrust upon you by heteronormative society. And that's like the smartest thing I'm going to say because we're filming this in July and I'm on vacation. So that's as smart as I sound <laughs> until like mid-August. That's it for me. No, I love it. Like, that's I agree it. I'm out. <laughs> um, Ale, I really think that the word um, Latin X could to have its own entire podcast. There's so much controversy around it. And there's so much uh, juice that we could dig into, even like the history of the word, where it even came from, what categories or categories of people are supposed to be, quote, under um, this whole section that I feel like we could spend an entire hour talking about it. Um, but I do want to hear your thoughts on intersectionality and your own intersectionality. Um, and how do you think it has contributed to who you are today? I mean, you spent so much time living in Mexico and in the States and your education is in both countries. Um, do you think it was hard? Did it help you? Um, tell me more. I think for me, it just sort of, I, I feel like uh, I just sort of stumbled into my career and everything. Like I didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. I like I said, I went to college and I got my master's in Laredo, Texas, uh, at Texas A&M International University, which is a Hispanic serving institution. So, I mean, my classes were in English, but every like it's I don't know what the percentage is, but everyone's Mexican in Laredo. So like I, I was there for <laughs> eight years. And so I remember mm -hmm. when I applied for a PhD and I got accepted and I decided to go to UNC, one of my professors was like, oh, you're finally moving to the US, you know, because it was like being in Mexico. <laughs> And so it was so easy there because I, I was like, it was like being home, but at the same time, there was this sense that I didn't belong there either because like Laredo is, a, for me, a lot of people don't like Laredo, but I love Laredo like with a passion. I love you Laredo, shout out to Laredo, Texas. I think it's such an interesting community and it's like, you know, it's, it's bicultural, it's bilingual, it's, it's it, you know, it's, it, it, they use Spanglish and code switching. And, and I always have thought that that's just so fascinating. And so, I mean, it's literally two City, towns that we put a border through. It's, it's literally like, exactly. Like we put a border through it and separated like Nuevo Laredo and Laredo. It's like, we just put a border right through this whole town. Yeah. Makes no sense. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And, and for me, it's like so rich and so full of culture. And, and so, because I wasn't from there, like I often would feel like, oh, like I'm from Mexico City. So like I speak differently. Uh, I, I, you know, when I got there, I didn't, I used to not code switch. And then like, as time went on, I, I you know, I would do that a little bit more. Um, 
I would use more Spanglish. And so for me, that was sort of like, like a little like taste of, of being at least on the border because I had lived in another town before, but that's in Gonzales, Texas, like you mentioned, and that's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. uh, but then going from Laredo to North Carolina, uh, that's when I sort of realized like, oh, this is what they mean when they say that we are minorities, right? Uh, I was like, well, that's a lot of white people. And, um, and, you know, and I grew up in San Miguel and there's a bunch of white Americans, but they're white Americans that know the culture that, you know, a lot of them speak Spanish. So it's like a very different situation being in my country and then with, with a lot of white people, but then being in the U.S. and it's like, wow, well, okay. Like, and that's sort of where, where I started to see and to be more aware of, uh, of race and of nationality, you know, and, and UNC, of course, and I'm sure you've seen it's, it's, you know, it's a school that has a really wonderful faculty, staff, really amazing students who have fought to take down racist, you know, white supremacist statues, you know, so that happened while I was there. Um, and sort of having those conversations and listening to people telling me, you know, what their experience had been. And so for me, grad school was, it made me aware of that intersectionality, but it also really, really exposed me to other culture, you know, I learned about the South. I learned about, um, you know, and I knew about slavery, but sort of like all the the details and like how the university had been built by slaves. And I was like, wow, this is a uh, super effed up, right? Um, <laughs> but that also got to meet people from all these different parts, like different like Spanish speaking countries that I otherwise had never met before, you know, like Salvadorans, which, you know, in Mexico, it's not as common, right? In South Texas, definitely not. But if you go to other parts of the country, it, that changes. So I think for me, that was like a my, I don't know, like awakening, you know, just being in a place that was not Mexico, that was not the border, uh, that was not Gonzales, Texas, because that's sort of like a different uh, story. But in a place that truly exposed me to, to other realities, to other stories, um, but I think also with that, you have um, this tendency to, you know, of course, like people in the U.S. look at me and they're like, yes, that's a woman of color. But then I'm in Mexico and like, I'm not, my skin's not dark enough for people to, to discriminate against me, but it's not light enough for them to treat me really well. So I'm just like, I don't exist, right? Like nobody cares about me in Mexico, which is kind of <laughs> nice sometimes, right? I'm like, nobody's gonna notice me. But then I'm in like, I don't know, Michigan and I stick out like a sore thumb. Like, what is she doing here? That's what I was gonna ask. I'm like, okay, so you went from South Texas uh, to North Carolina and now you're up in Michigan. That's another yeah. different <laughs> cultural shift. What's it like there now where you're at? Well, well, you know, you're in San Miguel, right? I'm in San Miguel, yeah. So the Wait, pandemic, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I finished grad school. I was in, in at UNC for an extra year. Then I got my job at Michigan State, and I was there for seven months. And then the pandemic hit, and I checked with my department, and I was like, "Well, if we're going online, can we? Can I go to Mexico?" And they were like, "Sure. I mean, no reason for you to be here if oh. you're going to be teaching online." So here I am. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time in Michigan. Um, and okay. I don't like, I'm still trying to figure out Midwestern culture because I, I don't understand it at all. I was like, 
<laughs> I know American culture. Like I've lived here for like half my life. And then I get to the Midwest and they're like, yeah, you know, Southern culture, but you don't know Miss Midwestern culture. And I'm like, what? You know, like it's different. And it is, <laughs> um, you know, but for example, like in the South, in North Carolina, I would get asked and I, you know, I shit you not, like this happened so many times and always at the gas station usually or the grocery store that someone would ask me, where are you from, of course? And I would say, you know, like Mexico and they would be like, oh, you're not Indian. And I'd be like, Indian, like from India? And they'd be like, no, like from here. And I'd be like, oh, Native American. And they'd be like, yeah, are you Native American? And I'd be like, well, you know, that's a really hard question for me to answer because yes, but not in the same way that it is considered in the US. So like, I, and so I would get asked all the time if I was Native American, um, which I had never been asked before, right? And so in Michigan, at least for those seven months, no one has asked me about my ethnicity, which I, which I appreciate, honestly. <laughs> yet, yet, though. Yet. It still might yet. happen. Yet. <laughs> yet. It, it might. <laughs> I love it. So I did want to ask, and um, Aubrey came up with this question. I thought it was a really good one. And, and I was really excited of all the work that Aubrey put in to come up with these questions. But, no, you, you know, <laughs> You focus on lesbian rep representation in contemporary Mexican literature, but for our listeners who aren't familiar, what is just usual Mexican literature like? Oh man, that's, that is such, I, this is like the third time I say this, but that's such a hard question. Um, I mean, like I said, so it, for a very long time, it was very centralized. So it would be like stuff out of, Mexico City, um, a lot of men, a lot of uh, upper middle class men. So like when you think Mexican literature, you usually think like Carlos Fuentes, you know, um, Octavio Paz, or like these really rich white uh, men. You of course have people like Juan Rulfo, but he's sort of like his own thing who was brilliant. Um, and then it's like in the 1980s, 1990s, it's like, oh, wait, some women are trying to write. That's cute, you know? <laughs> and so so then you have like Elena Poniatowska, who like, of course, like she's she's brilliant. So she she became, you know, an important writer. Of course, you have Rosario Castellanos, whom I love. This is back in like, you know, before, before then. Uh, but there were very few. And so now as time goes on, you have fortunately more women writing you have people who are writing uh you know who are publishing outside of mexico city especially in like the late night i think i want to say late 90s and if i'm wrong i i hope i'm not wrong if any of my academics are listening to this i'm sorry if i'm messing up the dates but i want to say like late 90s early 2000s you sort of have more literature about northern mexico and there's sort of like this shift and then this this whole conversation coming from northern mexico like hey mexico city why aren't you reading us? Uh, and then you have like narco literatura, like in the early 2000s, when you start having like violence starts getting out of hand, then you have like more presence of the cartels. And so there tends to be this idea like, oh, you know, in the North, they just write about drug dealers and cartels, which is not true, you know? Uh, and so now it's a little bit more more varied and more women, no, which which for me is is the most important thing. Uh, I think we need, of course, more indigenous representation. There, of course, are some wonderful indigenous uh, writers out there. You know, right now, this is not literature per se, 
but I think one of the most important thinkers in Mexico right now is Jasnaya Elena Aguilar, who is uh, an indigenous woman. She is, I believe, a linguist, and she is absolutely brilliant. She writes a lot about Mexican history and being indigenous and sort of like not identifying as Mexican because she is indigenous. She's Mije from Oaxaca. And so uh, I think we need to see more of that uh, now because there it was very male dominated. There's this really wonderful book by an academic whose work I love. Her name is Emily Hind, and the book is called Dude Lit. Uh, she has a previous book called Boob Lit, uh, but Dude Lit is, uh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's uh, for me, I love the way she writes because she's so funny and she's just, I don't know, wonderful. And so she talks about uh, sort of like the performance of the male writer in Mexico, like this bad boy who's also like really smart, who's also an asshole to women. And she's sort of tracing this persona, this like public persona, but also like she goes in, into institutions to look at, well, who was getting money to write back then? Uh, you know, why were they rejecting women? Because there were women applying, right? And so she even looked at the notes of like when they would interview women for, you know, fellowships or whatever. And like, they would make notes, like she doesn't smile, you know, that sort of thing. So ah. she she's, this book is wonderful because it sort of helps you understand that development of, of Mexican literature and she interviewed uh, um, a Mexican author, uh, you know, like in his 40s, 50s. Um, and she asked him like, who is your favorite, you know, Mexican woman writer? And he was like, no, I don't read them. Like they're not worth my time, you know? So you still have these attitudes uh, in Mexico and in Latin America. So, I mean, it's hard to answer like what it looks like now. It's looking better, less male-centered um but it's diverse we're trying no <laughs> um Ali I want to be mindful of your time you have so much great information and I just want to like have you on the show I want to like dig into all of these different topics um one of my last questions um is for our listeners out there what resources or places, things, or websites do you think people should go visit and learn uh, to learn more about the queer Mexican culture or queer Latin American culture? Is there a magazine or a writer that you specifically think that people should look for? So, uh, the resources that I can think about are mostly in Spanish. So I know there's like this, uh, like an online magazine called Homosensual, like instead of homosexual, homosensual, uh, that has a lot of, uh, you know, information. And they write about like literature, like, you know, brief articles. Um, if you want to get a little bit more academic, I would... Um, follow the work of writers like uh, Lawrence LaFontaine Stokes or Joseph Pierce. Um, there's, there's so many of them. There's so many wonderful colleagues who have done great, great, interesting work um, on queer Latin America. Uh, what else? I don't know if I can think of any specific resources, at least not in English. And 
because my I'm so academic and sometimes I'm so like in that box uh it's hard but I think I would start there I would check out Twitter uh you know some really cool conversations going on on, on Twitter um yeah I think that's those are my main ones um and how do people follow you on Twitter I feel like that might be a great gateway to find other great writers <laughs> and or information and you know what other I, platforms should we be following you on <laughs> Oh, so I tweet a lot, mostly in Spanish, and do not expect anything too intellectual from my Twitter. It's like I started tweeting, and then a bunch of colleagues started following me, but I was just tweeting, like, mm, I just had some tacos. And then, like, people started following me, and I'm like, oh, they're expecting me to tweet out, like, intellectual stuff, and I'm not. So, no, sorry. But my Twitter, no. <laughs> my Twitter is Alesa06, so A-L-E-S-A-06, and that's also my Instagram um which is you I mean you can also follow me there uh but Twitter is where I post most things wait I do have one more question and Aubrey if you have more that questions now is the time um your favorite taco right now my favorite taco forever is suadero uh, which is, you can only get good suadero in Mexico City and so I, I there's this specific taco place in, in southern Mexico City called Tacos Charlie. Best tacos I've ever eaten in my life. Uh, I try to go there whenever I can. So Suadero is number one and then number two, Tacos Al Pastor. <laughs> yes. I love it. Well, Aubrey, do you have any hungry. more questions? I feel like no, I could keep going. No, no, I'm just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Ali, this was so great. Um, I will be in San Miguel for Thanksgiving and I'd love to see you <gasps> lunch or yes. yet tacos. <laughs> yes, yes, please. I will be here. <laughs> Yay. Um, I'm going to be there for an entire week. Um, I'm bringing Allison Sweet. and her parents and her family, um, some of which who have never even been to Mexico. Um, wow. so I'm really excited to play tourist, but I'm also realizing that now I'm a tourist because I asked someone, I was like, oh, we could go to brunch at Rosewood. And my sister, who you know very well, was like, ew, that's so 2000s. Like, we need to go to murmur, murmur, murmur. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, look, to be, to be fair, I love brunch at Rosewood. And I've been wanting to go for a while. So whatever, Dali, I can't take that away from us. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, but really, I want to go have tacos with you. Never mind brunch. Let's go get tacos. Absolutely. Maybe we'll do both. Yes. <laughs> we could do that yeah <laughs> well and the then, thing is rosewood had tacos for for brunch too they do they have they have really good tacos there too and then eventually aubrey i need to get you down there as well and now you have more friends yes. to visit yes. yes right you should come it's so nice yes i would love to come that would be great well, are was... you in oh sorry no go for it i was um, gonna ask aubrey are you in south carolina am i right no i'm in uh, fort no? worth I'm in Fort Worth too. I'm just a few miles away from Indiana. Why did I we're think just... you were in South Carolina? We did an interview. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, I vacation. I did vacation. I vacationed there a few uh, last month. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I went on. The... I went there for a vacation last month. See, I'm tired. Yeah. No. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> no, Ale, yeah. But um, Aubrey was one of like three people who showed up to one of my meetups um, that I was trying to like build queer culture 
Um, and Aubrey and I became Facebook friends and we just kind of like stayed very lightly in touch on Facebook. And then I can't remember if I commented on something or Aubrey did, but we were talking about how hard it is to make community and friends as a queer adult in rural South. And um, the conversation snowballed where I was like, mm. I also find that a lot of movies, books, magazines, and queer representation is focused more on other bigger cities like LA, San Francisco, New York, which are all fine and great, but I had a fucking fantastic community in Atlanta, Georgia. And I know that there- oh, Atlanta's super queer. It's so queer. And there's so much queerness going on in the South. Um, like our last episode, Kentucky apparently is where it's at too. Yes, um, and it's been for apparently like 150 years. Yeah, or like really, yeah. We interviewed yesterday, like wow. Yeah, so it was so good. And then we interviewed this um, uh, person who gave us a bunch of information about uh, the main book like publishing company um, run by lesbians was based out of Florida. I was like, what? Yeah. Like so much happens in the South and after our conversation, I was like, we should just start our own podcast. And Aubrey was like, yeah, we should. And I was like, yeah, no, we should. Seriously. <laughs> well, no, the idea was it's that so you awesome. were, the idea was that you were going to host it and I would just help produce it from behind the scenes was what I wanted to do was just, I do. And then India back. dragged you. <laughs> yes. 100%. I'm, like, I, I'm like, I can help you write scripts and find guests and and we can get the website going and I can help promote it and we can build this up and you'll be the face of it and I'll do behind the scenes and it hasn't worked out how I thought it would. No so. regret. <laughs> <laughs> but Aubrey, you know, no regrets. Yes. Now some great articles for a gay parent magazine and working on stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's been a fantastic for you, Aubrey, personally, but I'm your biggest cheerleader. <laughs> yes, and I wish you would stop. <laughs> like, why won't people just let me, you know, not talk to people? Yeah. <laughs> no, Bye. I'm sorry. You need to talk to people. I know. I, I thought it was rich for you to be in this interview because both of you are academics and I was like you're both teachers like get it together you have to meet each other and be friends <laughs> yeah, well, I, yes I think this was great fabulous thank you so uh, much for having me this is just so fun oh and what I said so sorry about all the time delays and everything it's fine <gasps> But it's please, fine. please send huge hellos y saludos a tu mamá. I like love seeing love see. pictures of her on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I hope I get to see her again, maybe during Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bye bye. Um, but yeah, right. Ale, this was so rich, and I definitely want to have you back on the show to talk about <laughs> our other topics. That I was like, oh my god, we could talk about this for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, anytime. I, I, you know, I'm always willing. So, just let me know. Yay! Um. So, last notes for you. Um. Aubrey and I like to kind of mega jam a whole bunch of interviews. Um. We try not to do this. It just kind of happened that way. But like, they happen kind of back to back, and then we have like a collection 
of interviews to edit, and then we release them on a biweekly basis. Um, so we don't have yours scheduled, but I will message you in advance before it comes out. Um, that way you can also notify Hablemos Escritores because we'll plug them in um, and cross link um, them as well. And any other stuff that you want us to cross promote, send it my way. We'd be happy um, to do that, yes. Yeah, awesome. and Aubrey might reach out to you um, after the fact or me about some of the titles. Um, I was like speed typing them in my <laughs> notes and I was like, I probably misspelled that horribly. It's all um, good, I'm happy to send them. Yeah, because we like to um, offer resources um, to people who are listening to the episode. Um, and that way, if they're interesting, interested in reading some of these books, such as myself, like I'm like, oop, gotta order <laughs> Las Malas by Camila Sosa. But I also was like, oh, I feel like we both pronounced it in like actual Spanish. And then people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, Good. But, yeah. People need to get yeah. used to hearing right. the languages. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. there's true. more, more coming. Yeah, I, I like that. People need to get used to that. Love it. All, <laughs> All right, right, Ale, it was great to see you. All, All right, y'all. Right, your day. Hi, thanks for talking. Good to, to see you. Thank you. Ciao. You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production. Your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Holly. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastian. This is Southern Queries. Oh.